Happy almost Christmas. As you'll see from the sermon, it's not quite Christmas yet, it's still Advent. Don't forget, by the way, what blessed can also mean. That'll factor in later on in the sermon. Blessed doesn't just mean you're in a stained glass window somewhere, but it can also mean happy. We'll get to that. Well, as a matter of doctrine, I know that Holy Week and Easter ought to be my favorite time of the year. (coughs) And in principle it is, but I have to confess that in my heart it is Christmas. I don't know about you. For some reason, it's the only time of the year when it feels like everyone has suddenly remembered that there are good tidings of great joy that shall be for all the people. News so good that you can't hardly help but string up some lights and have too much eggnog and sing along when Mariah Carey comes on the radio. Or fill in whoever your favorite Christmas artist is here. Yes, it's true, of course. Christmas is too commercialized. Yes, it's too often taken up with rushing around. I've done plenty of that in the past couple weeks. Yes, too much of it is sentimentalized and treacly and kind of awful. Like that Christmas Prince movie on Netflix that's so bad it's good. I don't know if you've heard of that one, but it became popular for being really bad, but people couldn't stop watching it. (laughs) All of this is true. And yet, I think that even in all of that mess, Nevertheless, the heart of it all is still Silent Night by Candlelight. And Luke chapter 2 in the Old King James. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he shall be called Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Emmanuel, God with us. Whenever I hear the second chapter of Luke read now, in my mind I go back to sitting around the tree with my brothers and cousins growing up in North Dakota, listening to my grandfather read this every year, and all of us kids wondering at what we've heard, pondering it in our hearts like Mary, and believing that impossible things can come true. You can hear the Christmas music kind of ginning up for the soundtrack to the sappy movie. But I can hear someone saying in all of this, wait a second, that all sounds nice, preacher, but come on, give me a break. How sappy is your sermon going to get? We grown-ups ought to know that Christmas is for the kids. I know, we find preachers who believe sappy, impossible things, that's more or less their job. But the rest of us who aren't contractually obligated to believe old wives' tales about Stars and shepherds and cute little babies know better. It's all more or less like the elf on the shelf or Santa and his reindeer. We tell the stories and we sing the songs and we have some fun with the Christmas magic, but at the end of the day, it's all just for the kids. Everyone with two thoughts to rub together in their heads knows that, right? Well... Whether or not you were thinking that or not, I confess to being the kind of preacher who believes impossible things. I'll own up to that. I think that it's not a bad way to sum up the Christian faith. That is, impossible things have come true. Without impossible things, moreover, there is no hope for us. In the poet W.H. Allen's Christmas Oratorio, 
a chorus of condemned men sings. We who must die demand a miracle. How could the eternal do a temporal act? The infinite become a finite fact. Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. I think that the poet understood the Christmas story very well. For the Bible, we are all in that chorus of condemned men. Nothing can save us that is possible. But like the angel Gabriel said to Mary just before our passage for today, nothing is impossible with God. I think the season of Advent, especially in this church, is meant to remind us of this. Today is the last day of Advent before Christmas breaks into the bleak midwinter. The scripture readings and the hymns that our church appoints for this season have broken into our premature Christmas cheer, like John the Baptist showing up at your office holiday party, turning off that Mariah Carey Christmas album, and standing on a table and telling the whole gathered brood of vipers to repent. Strange. Why do we do Advent like this in this church? Mother Emily preached not too long ago, the past couple weeks, about having patience, and learning to be still, even in pain and sorrow, waiting on God when everything around us seems to be rushing forward to a manufactured joy that we make ourselves. I preached, Christmassy thought, on God's judgment. Not as bad news, however, that we need to avoid, but as the good news that while we are judged, we are not condemned. Because on the cross of Christ, the judge has been judged in our place so that God is not against us, but for us. This is all true and good, but not exactly what we normally think of as Christmassy themes. Why do we do this? Of course, many churches really don't bother with Advent, or if they do bother, they treat it as nothing much more than the countdown to Christmas. You know, 4, 3, 2, 1. There we go. But, in the Episcopal Church, if we're doing what the hymns and the prayer book tells us, Advent reminds us of what Christmas really means. Christmas, you see, doesn't come with the first bloom of spring or the 4th of July. Instead, it comes in the bleak midwinter of the year, in the dark, when the life has gone out from the world and the ice has closed in. You'd understand this better if you'd just come back from North Dakota like I have. Harder to get here in Texas. Symbolism. <clears throat> Advent shows us, you see, that this is where God comes. He comes in the middle of the darkest, coldest night. He's present there. He comes to the lowly places of the world where hope has died. Bellies are empty. Wars rage where the proud, rich, and powerful sit on their thrones and grind down the poor and the weak, where there is no mercy shown and no quarter given. God hasn't left those places. God comes there. There was a story in the newspaper not long ago about the horrible war that's dragging on in Yemen, on the other side of the world. 
Prolonged violence has meant, it seems, that civilization has basically broken down over there. Children have been dying of malnutrition and cholera. One man the reporter found had fled from one end of the country clear to the other end with his wife and six kids to escape the violence. The war haunts us from all directions, he said. Another man had not been paid in eight months, and his six-year-old malnourished daughter clung to life in a ramshackle clinic. Standing by her bed, he told the reporter, we're just waiting now for doom or for a breakthrough from heaven. I want to say that that is the season of Advent. Advent is the season of the lowly and the hungry in Mary's song that we just read. It's the season of the lowly and hungry in Mary's song demanding a miracle waiting for a breakthrough from heaven. We don't read the rest of Micah this Sunday, or possibly any Sunday. So we don't find out, we don't normally see that what we read is just about the only hopeful passage in the whole book. The rest of it is mostly a battering ram of judgment. It's God warning the Israelites that the end of their days is near, it was written not long before the ten northern tribes of Israel were crushed in battle and swept away into the dustbin of history. Micah was warning his people of the evil and the armed who would soon draw near, and of the fear that would soon descend upon every house and every town. What we read is the little bit of the book where the light breaks in. The situation looks hopeless. By any conceivable human possibility, it is. But this is where the word of God breaks in. You, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah. Notice this. It's a little poor farming town, not a walled fortress or a world capital. From here shall come forth one who is to rule in Israel one who shall feed his flock in the strength of the Lord and give them security and peace. By the time the story picks up again in the Gospel of Luke, you have to remember that it seemed to the people as though God may well have gone silent. There had been no prophets for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Rome was in charge. All they had were these old promises that Micah and Isaiah had spoken long ago. But one day, out of the rubble, into the dark, God would send one who would come to the help of his servant Israel. One day, Mary hoped, Elizabeth hoped, everyone hoped, God would remember his promise of mercy. One day the promises that God made to their fathers, to Abraham and his children forever, would finally come true. That, my friends, is what we see in the story of Mary and Elizabeth. We need to see them as stand-ins for the whole people of Israel, symbols of Israel itself. Elizabeth, see, is old. 
She's well beyond childbearing years, just like Abraham's wife Sarah was and other figures in the Bible. And the Virgin Mary is young. She had no business having a child. Yet in both of them, the impossible has become possible. Here in them, the promise of new birth, new life, another chance, has taken on flesh and sinew and bone. You must be born again, Jesus was later to say. On Christmas, the first new birth takes place. We celebrate the new birth of Israel, the new birth of the human race, and the new birth of you and me. It's not just a story about another happy family and a cute baby. Instead, it's the story of God, the almighty God who created the world out of nothing. He who calls into existence the things that do not exist, reaching down into the dark and the ice cold of the web we have woven of sin and death and creating us over again. Brandon. Yes, that's impossible. But impossible is just what we need. Nothing that is possible could save us. We who were about to die got a miracle. you find yourself in the bleak North Dakota midwinter of life, then the Christmas feast that we'll celebrate tomorrow is especially for you. If your health is failing, if your marriage is struggling, if your loved ones are dying, or if you look at the mess of your life and are suffering the heartache that sin always brings, Christmas is for you. It's not just for the kids, it's for the grown-ups. It's for us when we've reached the end of the line, when our hope is hanging on by a thread, when our hearts are frozen in the bleak midwinter of grief and anger, and we wonder where God went. When that's where we are, our lives are in the season of Advent. Tomorrow, all in a burst carols and joy, we find out that it's there that God does come. When we've given up expecting Him, when we have no more earthly reason to hope, God makes the impossible possible. He reaches down into our lives, into this world, and puts a song in our hearts. Mary and Elizabeth are not just blessed, but happy. Happy are you among women, and joyful is the fruit of your womb. As soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. Joyful is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Because of this miracle, and the even greater miracle to come of Easter morning, you too can be born again. Your life can be made new. Our common life can be transformed. The lowly can be lifted up, the hungry fed, the wicked and proud cast down, and abundant mercy given to all who truly seek it.
without God, none of this is possible. But nothing is impossible with God. May God put Mary's song on your heart today, too. And may God himself lift up your heart, that we all may, that we all may proclaim the greatness of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.